Hello, I'm Yasser Javed, GP with a specialist interest in cardiology based in Northampton. And welcome to this podcast, which comes to you as part of Chronic Conditions Month 2023, which is taking place throughout May. And this includes a whole string of interactive and informative webinars designed to address the primary care challenges of diagnosing and managing chronic conditions across a range of therapeutic areas. Today in this podcast, we're going to be discussing an important part of the cardiac examination, auscultation of the heart sounds, which can give an indication of significant underlying structural heart disease, particularly valve disease. It's highly recommended that you listen to this podcast with headphones uh, connected to a decent quality device to fully appreciate the different heart sounds and murmurs. And valve disease is becoming a huge public health issue as its prevalence is increasing sharply with the ageing of the population. In fact, nowadays in the UK, we hardly ever see a new case of rheumatic heart valve disease. The vast majority of cases are now age-related and degenerative. Around 12% of the elderly population above 75 have at least moderate aortic or mitral valve disease, and calcific aortic stenosis and degenerative mitral regurgitation are the two commonest valve lesions now seen in clinical practice. Aortic regurgitation is seen usually in the setting of associated aortic stenosis, but can also be seen in association with aortic root disease or infective endocarditis. Thankfully, mitral stenosis is now vanishingly rare as its etiology is almost exclusively rheumatic. Non-congenital right-sided valve disease involving the tricuspid or pulmonary valves is rarely seen outside of the setting of endocarditis, which is more common in patients who have an implanted complex cardiac device, such as an ICD or CRT, or in an intravenous drug user who is injecting non-sterile material directly into the venous system, which drains straight into the right side of the heart and can directly infect the tricuspid and pulmonary valve. And the main reason why it's so crucial to diagnose valve disease in a timely fashion is that it may otherwise present uh, as significant heart failure. And without timely intervention, this can become irreversible very quickly. So ideally, we want to identify valve disease early. And the moment patients become symptomatic, uh, either with new onset breathlessness or even a subtle reduction in effort tolerance, they should be assessed for intervention. And the key to early diagnosis has to be good quality cardiac auscultation. I would strongly urge all colleagues who examine patients to invest in a decent stethoscope. Essentially, you get what you pay for. Those flimsy, often grey-coloured stethoscopes you often see knocking around ob stations uh, are probably not much better than two plastic cups and a bit of string. So get a decent stethoscope, uh, get it engraved uh, with your name, look after it, and it should serve you well for a lifetime. And I think it's important to have a quick listen to the heart of any elderly patient with symptoms of new onset breathlessness, uh, new onset exertional, exertional chest pain, uh, syncope uh, or presyncope. The patient simply can't afford for us to miss the potential underlying critical valve disease, as I'll explain a little later. 
Most decent stethoscopes now have a variable diaphragm that transforms into a bell depending on pressure. So get to know how your stethoscope works. The second intercostal space, right sternal edge, is where the ascending aorta is closest to the chest wall. And that's the ideal place to listen for downstream aortic stenosis. And the other important area to listen uh, for murmurs is the apex of the heart, usually the fifth intercostal space, mid-clavicular line uh, on the left. Uh, that's the optimal site for auscultating mitral regurgitation. That's where the apex of the heart is closest to the chest wall. When you auscultate, uh, you first want to listen for and identify where, uh, whether there are two normal heart sounds, the so-called lub and dub. And so let's listen to a good example of normal heart sounds. These normal heart sounds are due to valve closure. The first one uh, representing closure of the atrioventricular valves, in other words, mitral and tricuspid, and the second heart sound due to closure of the outflow valves, aortic and pulmonary. Because the left side of the heart is at a much higher pressure than the right side, the left-sided valves close with a lot more vigour and they therefore make up the bulk of those sounds. So essentially the first heart sound, or lub, is mainly due to mitral valve closure, and the second heart sound, or dub, is predominantly due to aortic valve closure. And systole uh, occurs between the two heart sounds. So if you're struggling to work out which heart sound is which, simply feeling the pulse, which obviously occurs during ventricular systole, will give you the answer and that is also how you differentiate a systolic from a diastolic murmur. Patients who have a significant shunt of blood between the left and the right side of the heart, for instance those with a significant atrial septal defect or ASD, can have a constant or fixed splitting of that second heart sound and this is because of the increased blood flow across the pulmonary valve which delays its closure. Uh, that means that the pulmonary valve closure is no longer in sync with the aortic valve closure. And we've got a pretty obvious example here of a fixed splitting of the second heart sound. And this was uh, found in a young patient with an underlying ASD. Please don't be too upset if you miss a splitting of the second heart sound. It's not always that obvious and dare I say uh, most cardiologists only mention this finding on a clinic letter having clearly read the echo report confirming the presence of an ASD. Occasionally you can hear a third heart sound uh, which gives rise to a gallop rhythm. This can be normal but if you hear it in the setting of a patient with a clinical picture consistent with heart failure it probably represents significant underlying left ventricular dysfunction where the left atrial pressure has increased to such a degree that you get this rapid ventricular filling in early diastole soon after the second heart sound. It's pretty specific actually but not particularly sensitive uh, for heart failure but here's a good example.
For all you equine enthusiasts, please don't write in to complain. I'm well aware that a true horse's gallop involves four sounds and it's a canter that gives three discrete sounds, but uh, I guess it's too late to change uh, the terminology and rewrite cardiology textbooks. Now let's move on to aortic stenosis, the commonest pathological valve lesion we see in UK clinical practice. We really must listen for this murmur in any elderly patient uh, with uh, suggestive symptoms, as I've described earlier, uh, or we may miss the opportunity to refer for a timely valve intervention that could cure the impending heart failure. So in aortic stenosis, you get a systolic murmur. So uh, you'll hear this as you feel uh, the pulse. The key finding in this murmur is that the second heart sound is essentially inaudible. Uh, there is no discernible dub at the end of the murmur and this tells you that the aortic valve is so badly calcified and stenosed that it's barely opening and therefore barely closing and not making a significant sound. It's a critical finding and any cardiologist who receives a referral stating that a symptomatic patient has a systolic murmur with no second heart sound will almost certainly escalate that to a very urgent valve review. So let's hear that murmur again and make sure you can ascertain the loss of that second heart sound in critical aortic stenosis. And let's uh, now end with that other common valve lesion we will encounter in clinical practice, mitral regurgitation. So again, we hear a systolic murmur occurring as we feel the pulse, but this time the second heart sound is intact, telling us that this murmur can't really be due to significant aortic stenosis. So listen again to the murmur of mitral regurgitation and just focus on that clear, normal second heart sound straight after the murmur. So those are the two commonest pathological murmurs we should be listening out for in primary care, aortic stenosis and mitral regurgitation. It's really difficult to differentiate them in terms of character. Classically, aortic stenosis causes an ejection systolic murmur and mitral regurgitation a pan-systolic murmur. But I think, uh, certainly in my uh, experience, the second heart sound, whether you can hear it normally or whether it's uh, inaudible is a much more reliable differentiator. Other clues that the murmur of aortic uh, stenosis uh, is present is that uh, this murmur will be loudest at the second intercostal space right sternal edge uh, and it radiates to the carotids whereas mitral regurgitation tends to be loudest at the apex and radiates to the axilla. 
in very significant aortic stenosis, you may also notice a narrow pulse pressure where the left ventricle struggles to generate a significant difference between systolic and diastolic blood pressure. So you may, for instance, get a blood pressure, I don't know, somewhere in the region of 96 over 78. Okay, so let's hear those two murmurs again. Firstly, aortic stenosis. Clear systolic murmur with an absent second heart sound. And we're now going to hear um, the murmur of mitral regurgitation again. A systolic murmur with a, this time, a normal second heart sound. Uh, but again, it's not a disaster if you get the murmurs mixed up. Simply picking up the murmur, getting an echo or doing an urgent cardiology referral if the patient is symptomatic is key. Of course, many murmurs are not associated with significant underlying valve disease. A murmur simply represents turbulent blood flow, which can typically occur in a vigorously beating child's heart during a febrile Ill illness, for instance, or in a pregnant woman. So clinical context, as with all areas of medicine, is so important. And even experts can find it impossible to differentiate a flow murmur from one due to valve disease. So we should have a low threshold to refer for an echocardiogram. But there is a basic rule of thumb that all innocent flow murmurs are systolic murmurs. And therefore, diastolic murmurs are always pathological. Diastole should always be silent when you're listening to the heart. Uh, thank you all for listening and I hope you found this podcast helpful. Please make sure to register on the Chronic Conditions website so you can listen to other podcasts in the series and for our interactive webcasts brought to you as part of Chronic Conditions Month 2023. You can sign up at chroniconditions.co.uk.